Welcome everybody. This is uh, Braving the Fire Revisited, um, a conversation. First of all, it'll be between myself, Louise Julig, and Jessica Handler, and then we're going to open it up to the rest of you lovely folks. Um, so for those of you um, who don't know who I am, I'm just going to give a brief bio of myself and then introduce Jessica. So um, my name is Louise Julig. My pronouns are she, her, hers. I'm a creative nonfiction writer living in Encinitas, California, um, and I do that is on unceded Kumeyaay lands. I wrote mostly um, personal essays and flash nonfiction, uh, which you can find on my website, louisejulie.com. I also have a weird compunction to read slightly embarrassing true stories in front of a bar full of people at the VAMP Storytelling Showcase of the San Diego Literary and Performing Arts Organization, so say we all. And I also write a Substack newsletter called Be Your Own Hero about being brave in small moments, and it comes out approximately monthly. Um, so that's me. And then our guest, um, Jessica Handler, is the author of the novel, The Magnetic Girl, which was winner of the 2020 Southern Book Prize and a nominee for the Townsend Prize for Fiction. The novel is one of the 2019 books all Georgians should read. An indie next pick, a Wall Street Journal spring 2019 pick, bitter Southerner summer 2019 pick, and a Southern Independent Booksellers Association okra pick. Not Oprah, okra. Okra, yeah. yes. People okra. are always like, Oprah? I'm like, no, no. <laughs> Her memoir, Invisible Sisters, was also named uh, one of the books all Georgians should read and her craft guide, Braving the Fire, which is why you're all here today, um, uh, was praised by Vanity Fair magazine and has been the focal text for grief writing workshops in the U.S. and overseas since its publication in 2013. Her writing has appeared in NP on, on NPR, In Tin House, Drunken Boat, The Bitter Southerner, Electric Literature, Brevity, Creative Nonfiction, Newsweek, The Washington Post, Oldster, Full Grown People, and elsewhere. And she lives in Atlanta. So welcome, welcome, Jessica. Thank you. Thank you. So you and I know each other. I guess we met the year this book came out, right? Yeah, it was um, it was written, but it hadn't been published yet because that was oh, wow. spring of 2013. Okay. Yeah, I went to the Oxford Creative Nonfiction Conference, which was sponsored by Creative Nonfiction Magazine in Oxford, Mississippi, not yeah. Oxford, England. Right. And yeah, and took your workshop on on grief writing or on I don't remember exactly what it was titled, but I don't, I don't remember either. But it's it's a workshop that I've finessed that is about writing about grief and trauma, um, in various ways. That was a fun trip, and that was a really good conference. And I don't think they've had it since then. No, they had it twice. They had okay. it in 2010 and 2013, and then okay. it didn't kind yeah. of pan out and have it again which I yeah. was bummed about really and you came a long way for that I mean Oxford for me is like a five-hour drive it's not a thing but for you it's a like a, it's a schlep so <laughs> yeah I'm, it was but I, I fell in love with creative nonfiction magazine and yeah. um, I was like anything they're doing I'm going to if I can so yeah yeah um, that's great yeah and I'll be teaching um, a memoir workshop with them online in July oh nice yeah. So, yeah. So I do a lot with them. Um, and so we were talking about when you and I were prepping this, we were talking about like, why are we looking at braving the fire again? Gee, grief. 
Yeah. Start? Yeah. It, it kind of came up um, sort of in one of those roundabout ways, you know, and we started talking again. And I was like, dang, this book is like so relevant again, you know, um, because of the pandemic. And I mean, the stats are like, what, six million plus people in the world. It's world. over six million. Um, um, yeah. And, and who and have died from over this? Yeah. A million of those in the US, you know, which is not a good stat. I mean, there's just so many things, and it just seems like so relevant. And it's not often, I mean, craft books are, you know, a lot of times they don't really age, but then you don't hear about them again. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, you know, there's no reason why we can't talk about this again. We can't um, talk about this. So I wonder, do you want me to read like a page or two off the top? Yeah, yeah. How about you do that and um, give people that haven't had a chance to yeah. uh, read it um, a little bit yeah. of a taste. And then we'll talk about kind of why we're writing about grief and loss, you know, um, and how to do it. And I say how to do it well. And when I say well, I, I mean that in two ways. I mean, how to do it well is in, in a craft way, how to, how to write well, uh, but also how to be well in yourself when you're writing about something that is difficult, right? So there's two uses of the word well here. So bear with me here. We're gonna just start at the top of the book. Um, You may be holding this book because you have been changed by experiencing a great loss. Perhaps you're browsing these pages because you've been thinking that you wanna write about what's happened to you and you're wondering about how to start. Perhaps you want to write about the ways that grief came into your life and what has happened in its aftermath or you want to commemorate a loved one or a way of life that is gone. After you've survived the death of a loved one, an illness, a broken romance, the loss of a home, country, or even a social structure, the story of who you are changes. In writing about what's changed, you want to make sense of the impact of your loss or record life-altering events for yourself and for family and friends, including those not yet born. You already know that you're not alone in experiencing loss. You're also not alone in wanting to write about it. You may not know this yet, but you're also searching for a way to write about yourself as the memory keeper, the survivor of loss. So like you, I am someone with a personal history of loss and struggling to understand who I became after grief changed me. Years before I knew I would write my memoir, Invisible Sisters, I searched for books that would help me find a way to write about my experience of loss. As far as I knew, how-to books about grief writing didn't exist. Actually, they didn't. This is the first one. Um, I would have to teach myself by following others' examples. I wanted honest, interesting memoirs about grieving and approachable, welcoming books written from the perspective of the seriously ill person and their family expressing the intimacies, the paradoxes, and the anger that come with living in a changed body and a changed life. I was desperate for good books that proved I wasn't alone in the journey my family and I had made, a journey that left me as the surviving sister of three. Um, So then I'm just going to go to the uh, one paragraph and then we're going to move on. Uh, So I read a bunch of books. Searching for guidance in other stories of loss, I looked for writing lessons and I sought encouragement. Telling my story was the right thing to do for me and my family, but before I could do it, I wanted proof that others had accomplished the daunting task of writing through their grief. Writing about truly painful subjects like death, divorce, illness, war, anything that deeply changes your life is as brave as holding a hand over a flame that has already burned you once. 
put your hand out again, get burned again, right? I knew it would hurt, but in order to write clearly about what had happened and understand what my losses meant to me, I had to examine my story closely. If I could feel those good moments and the bad moments again, maybe I could find an unforgettable way to describe the fire and how I came away from it. So that's the beginning of the book, which I'm gonna set back here. Oh, look at that. Okay, cool. Don't, don't fall over. Okay, so thank you. Yeah, so um, yeah, I remember, well, and a little bit of my background, um, I came to that workshop. It was eight months since um, my mom had died. Um, when I was 45, um, she died at 72 mm -hmm. of uh, stage four colon cancer. And that was pretty traumatic. Um, I spent the last month of her life um, living at my parents' house. I, I drove out there on a day's notice thinking I might spend a week and I stayed a month, um, basically helping my dad um, uh, with my mom's last month of life in home hospice. And it was like her condition just kept changing day every day. And um, I also had a lot of unresolved stuff, you know, with mm -hmm. my mother and yeah, it was, it felt like being in a crucible. So, um, yeah. and then I remember when the workshop came up, um, they, I remember them, it was like, they only, we almost didn't have it here. I remember your mom had passed really, really soon before the workshop, I think. And they, um, they I thought, yeah. I thinking I'm remembering they were like, we're going to let Jessica decide whether she wants to run it or not. Cause it was, they were just weren't sure. I had forgotten that. That's right. My mother, I was also looking after my mother in the last two years of her life with um, metastatic brain cancer. And um, the, the last section of the book, where did I put the book? The last section of the book <laughs> is the epilogue where I was telling you before we went live that the, the page proofs had come and my mom and I were looking over the page proofs because my mother had been an editor in her career. And that's right, between the page proofs and the pub date, I mean, that's, you know, the better part of a year. So she had just died. You're right, I had forgotten that. Yeah. And um, of course I went because I believe in doing the work, right? And that doesn't mean that it's not going to make you sad or it's not going to hurt you. I mean, don't hurt yourself. Don't go do something that will actually hurt you. But, you know, in my mother's honor, I went because she read the book. You know, she knew I was doing it. Um, and so that's why I did it. And I think that in the workshop, we did some of the exercises in the book. I think six or eight people in the group, I forgot. So I'm glad it was helpful to you. Yeah, yeah. No, I remember it was. And I remember... Um um the you had the pancakes exercise um or, or or maybe it wasn't pancakes exercise okay now i'm throwing something at her i'm so like what I pancakes i just reread the book okay and so um, i haven't <laughs> there was something about uh it was something about how to zoom in uh focus in on the small details and you said huh. there was something about cooking yourself pancakes um, and, oh, and it was like a way to get into the story from the side. Cause that's the thing oh. about writing. Okay. I remember this. I don't remember it being in the book, but I remember it being in life. Yeah. It's in the book. 
<laughs> okay. After my sister Sarah died, um, and she'd been ill for 27 years, and her death was expected and not expected, um, I got very sick after she died. I had pneumonia. I had pneumonia for about two months um, because one of the things that happens when you're grieving, particularly if you've been in what's called anticipatory grief, is then when everything resolves, your body or my body anyway goes, all right, everybody out of the pool, right? And so I was really sick for like two months. And at one point, I was really hungry, like six weeks into it. And I went into the kitchen and made pancakes because I guess I had pancake mix and God knows how old the milk was and whatever. But I made pancakes and ate them and then went back to bed for another month. <laughs> and I think that what that was, was about writing a scene, right? Starting with, you know, if you write about grief and I wanna talk in a minute about all the things that we are grieving as a nation, as a world, as individuals. And when you write about grief, you're writing about these huge unwieldy emotions. I am so sad, I am so angry. I cannot stop crying, I this, I that. But that's not a scene. A scene, to quote my dear friend, Rebecca McClanahan, who's a wonderful writer, is people in a place doing a thing. Write that down if you feel like being a student tonight. People or sentient beings in a place doing a thing. So what's, what are you doing in a place in a thing? I am in my kitchen, probably in a bathrobe, mixing up pancake mix that probably dates from like, I don't know, the 19th century. But I'm making these pancakes and I'm eating these pancakes, and then I'm going back to bed. And doing that shows you, A, how out of it I was, B, how hungry I was, and B, how sad I was. Because it's damn sad to make a whole package of pancakes. Is that the exercise? Say it was, even if it wasn't. I, it was. Okay. <laughs> Definitely was. Whether or not it was, it was. But you have to go back also, in. It was also yeah. about kind of, um, getting to things from the side. And I remember my mom had bought like pounds and pounds of coffee from this fair trade coffee place. And then the last time that my daughter and I visited her when she was well, which was in probably about six months before she died, she had us like packaging the coffee into one pound bags and it had to like weigh them to be exactly a pound I'm like, who is, is like the Weights and Measures Bureau going to come? Like, <laughs> you know, and yeah. and then like a month after that, she lost her taste for coffee. And 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 then when she died, my dad had all this coffee and he doesn't drink coffee very much. And so I had like all this coffee in my house because I couldn't bear to let it go to waste. Sure. And so and I'm thinking about this. I remember writing it in the exercise. And I still haven't written that story. I need to write it myself. So well, one of the things that's going to come out of tonight as we talk and as people listen and then as people join in the conversation, think of it. I mean, I'm thinking right away. I love that line about is the Weights and Measures Bureau going to come, you know, check on you. It tells me about your mother's character. It tells me about your character. The coffee is a metaphor for something. I don't know what, but you can fool with that. So, yeah, you're the 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 the, the sorrow, the grief of having the coffee and not the mother. Right? Yeah, 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 yeah. That was. Yeah. I have That's written a few other things. I just haven't written that thing. Yeah, we're going to yeah. talk about some of the stuff that you've written because it's oh. wonderful. Oh. You know, we were talking earlier about there's so much to grieve this de the, these days. You know, about there's social justice issues, there's reproductive rights issues, oh. there's Black Lives Matter issues, there's the people worldwide dead of COVID, there's the war in Ukraine. I have a note here that says my friend's cancer, my other friend's cancer, my other friend's cancer. Um, 
you know, and if you let yourself get taken, get, get buried for lack of a better word by this, you can't move forward. And part of what I try to teach is looking back, moving forward, right? How are you telling the story of yourself and of your loved ones or of your loved world? You know, writing about grief is the heavy hitters are death and dying, obviously, but divorce, a difficult coming out experience, the losing of the home, the anything that um, Megan Devine, who writes a wonderful um, book and series called Refuge in Grief, she refers to it as the meteor that hit your life. Mm-hmm. Who were you before the meteor? Who were you after mm-hmm. the meteor? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So how do you yeah. write about the meteor? Multiple um, meteors. I think we the, all do. <laughs> yeah, the multiple well, meteors. And I was remembering, there's a quote of the very, very, almost the end couple of pages in Raving the Fire. It's Natasha Trithway. Yeah, Tasha. Says, um, for her, um, all writing for me is writing about loss. She says, you're writing about what's already gone. And so, yeah, it's like, in a way, and I think about even the, you know, the, the, handful of pieces that I've written for lit mags and stuff most of them have been about loss I mean uh I hadn't actually put it together until we were planning this like oh yeah (laughs) well you know and I want to talk about how grief writing has changed over time but you know when you're talking about how you write everything is about loss in some way there's an exercise that I do with students. I'm just giving away exercises here. Normally I charge for this people. So, you know, <laughs> grab it and growl. Um, I ask people to start with a free write and you're not going to do it now. And I'm never going to hear it because it's super private and super intimate. But a free write is when you set a timer for five minutes and you write in whatever language you're most comfortable in. It doesn't have to be English. Um, and you just basically, one of my students calls it vomiting on the page, which is kind of like, eh. but the question is what obsesses me or I am obsessed by. So if you give yourself a free write that says I am obsessed by, and then for three minutes, you just blah, 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 blah on the page. I know in my case, it always ends up being some version of loss. I'm obsessed by this aspect of loss. I'm watching the captioning. I'm also obsessed by bad live captioning. Uh, (laughs) But um, yeah, so that's just a a thing to think about. You know, we had talked about how grief writing has changed over time. Yeah, yeah, I'm curious on your perspective. Well, you were talking about Gina Frangelo's book about um, Blow Your House Down. Yes, oh my gosh. Okay, so I love, 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 absolutely love this book. I read it, I don't know, sometime within the last six months, I think, when it came out. Um, And one thing that I thought was really cool about um, this book is that it's about so many things. And um, it's kind of mostly about sort of her marriage imploding, but it's also about her breast cancer diagnosis. And it's all and recovery during the time when her marriage is imploding. And it's also about um, her parents getting older and dying. And at one point, their parents were living in the house that she was with, with the husband at the time when the marriage was imploding. And it was like, I, I, I listened to some of the interviews with her and and some people were like, well, gosh, there's so much stuff in this book. You know, maybe it could just be about 
one of the things or the other thing, can you really have like, I mean, there are whole books written about, you know, by people that went through a cancer diagnosis. And she was like, no, mm-hmm. you know, this is my life. And these were all of the things that were happening at the same time. Yeah. And I'm going to write this book. And it's just gotten just like a tremendous reception. And I am such a fan. So how does she make it work? I mean, I'm not read it. I'm familiar with it. Oh and I've, my gosh. I've spoken with her about it. I just, it's on my, you should see my TBR list. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, one of the things we were talking about is if we are surrounded by all these different kinds of grief and, and Gina does such a good job of saying, yeah, I've got, you know, the breast cancer diagnosis and the imploding marriage and the parents and the this and the that. How does she make it work so that it just doesn't be like, you know, a big pile of blah? Part of it is that it's not written as one narrative arc. It's mm. written in separate, almost, it's almost a memoir in essays. Yeah. Not quite, I wouldn't quite describe it that way, but it's also some of the sections are a little experimental. One's written as a glossary. Oh, cool. Um, and so that's partly how she makes it work. And yeah, when we open this up, if anyone else who's uh, read it has anything you want to add about that, definitely. Yes, yeah, so Drew wants to know, repeat the name of the book. So if you want to hold oh, it up. Oh. Um, yeah, to yeah. blow your house down. And it's Gina Frangello. Gina Frangello. It came out about a year ago in hardback. It is in paperback right now. I'm out in paper now. Oh my you know, God. You know, talking about form and about grief writing and the, the fact that some of this is in a glossary, there's a wonderful book that I didn't pull over here that I'm looking for right now. I'm looking on my memoir shelf. It's here now. There it is. Marsha Aldrich's book. Um, Companion to an untold story. Hmm. Un- companion to an untold story. And she writes it essentially as an old fashioned reader's companion, which is essentially a dictionary. And one of wow. the other wonderful things is a wonderful piece of form. We were talking about the change in grief writing. I always teach, um, you know, Dinty Moore, Dinty W. Moore. Who, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dinty has a wonderful essay called Son of Mr. Green Jeans. So if anybody, yeah, okay, I see Taylor's nodding. Um, Anybody here remember Captain Kangaroo? And I have to tell you, by the way, when I was a little kid, I thought his friend's name was was Mr. Cream Cheese. Um, Just, I don't know why. We had cream cheese in my house. We didn't have green jeans. But um, it's called Son of Mr. Green Jeans, and it's written as an abecedarian. And an abecedarian is a poetry form that follows abecid, it's an alphabet, right? So the first section starts with A and it's a paragraph. The second section starts with B and it's a paragraph all the way through. Um, You can find it online. You can find it in a variety of um, anthologies, but on one hand, you're like, oh, cool, look at this, it's an alphabet. And then you're about five or six letters into it. And I wait for my students to get that aha moment. And they realize that it's grief writing about fatherhood about having um, a not good father, about wanting to be a good father, about fathers in the animal kingdom, got Frank Zappa in there, not having anything to do with the animal kingdom, Um, but also television shows. I mean, it's about fatherhood in culture. Um, So that's an informal way of doing it. I'm thinking too, also, I recently learned about a South African, a queer South African performance poet named um, Koleka Patuma. And she has an amazing poem called Water, which Mm. is, is it about swimming? Is it about the middle passage? What is it about? Mm. (laughs) Many things. Mm. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Do you have the 
spelling? Can do you have? Yeah, can I put it in the chat? Yeah, put it in the chat because I'm yeah. positive. Yeah, that the captioning did not. Aleko Putuma. Yeah, I don't trust the captioning at all. But Natasha Trethway's name is Natasha Truth the Way, which I might actually have to tell her because um, that's just too <laughs> <Ooh>. cool. <laughs> um, yeah, but you know, grief writing. Maybe I've been teaching too much freshman English. Oh, I have been teaching too much freshman English. <laughs> but isn't King Lear about grief? Isn't mm. Othello about grief? Isn't Antigone about grief? I mean, this goes back to the classics. It goes back to um, epic poetry. It goes back to the Odyssey. It goes back to Gilgamesh, right? All the way from that to performance poetry, to Abyssidarians, to um, Gina Frangello doing a glossary, right? Try it again. It's back. Okay. okay. We came back. It's, who knows? <laughs> I don't yes. Know As we used to say in television, and we're back. Um, <laughs> right, right. In that tone, and we're back. Um, so, I think grief writing changes with how people want to write it and how people feel free enough to write it. We're talking prose, we're talking poetry, we're talking plays, we're talking, I mean, think of any song lyric for crying out loud. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, something that you just said reminded me of this great thing I heard from Mary Carr. Mm. Um, so I, when, um, when Melissa Peebo's just released her recent book body work body work yeah um oh my gosh so amazing i don't have that one like on my stack right in front of me but if you haven't read that i'll grab it, putting it i'm putting it in the chat um i went to a live um online release thing with her uh mary carr and leslie jameson which was just like mm -hmm. i was totally fangirling like everybody. i'm all about the fangirling now <laughs> and um mary carr was talking oh and because the first essay in bodywork is in is in defense of navel gazing is the title of it and it's kind of melissa basically just demolishing the argument about um you know that well memoir and when you're writing about you know your little life um that it's navel gazing and not really that important and mary, mary carr said oh yeah i was at some event and some some guy you know was talking to her and like you know well that's yeah you know that's not the stuff that's really like important and she was like well what's important to you what do you think we should be writing about and it was like well history and time and oh and mary was pregnant at the time and he was like i hope you're not going to talk about your baby you know, I hope you're not going to be like just writing about being a mom, you know, write about something important. And she was like, you know, okay, you know, if you want to know about time and history, you talk to a pregnant person, you know, it was like, she was like, this is, you know, this yeah. is life. This you is know, the, this... the literal embodiment of time <laughs> yeah. and history, the exactly. literal embodiment of it. Yeah. You know? And, um, and so I think the same is kind of with grief. Um, and like in my latest, my newsletter post, it's like that I, I kind of was writing about in, in uh, riffing off of your chapter on denial in the book, mm -hmm. where we kind of have a tendency to deny ourselves the right to write about yeah. our personal grief, because well, doesn't everybody grieve and is mine important enough to write about? 
And I think we need to flip that on its head because it's precisely important enough to write about because everybody grieves. Exactly. I mean, this is part of the human story. And so um, your grief over, you know, a, a heartbreak really is no different than grief is grief, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's not a competition. Either. Exactly. It's not the grief Olympics. Yes, yes. And the thing that makes it unique, and you were talking about denial, the thing that makes it unique is if we go back to scene or we go back to experience, when you anchor it in scene and experience and how I experienced something, let me tell you about it. You are going to read it if it's well-written And you're going to say, well, that exact thing didn't happen to me, but I get it because something like it happened to me, or I felt that way on Tuesday, or I did that exact same thing, or, oh my God, I would never do that thing. Why did you do that thing? Right? So that's, that's, yeah. Yeah. Don't people say, oh, people have already written about cancer. Oh, people have already written about homelessness. Well, of course they have, because it's part, as you say, it's part of the human condition. The book is um, anchored on the the Kubler-Ross stages of grief. You mentioned denial. Um, I'm I'm watching the captioning. I was afraid, I was wondering what it was going to do with Kubler-Ross. And, you know, it's interesting because the reason I chose that, so there's a section called denial, which is the first one, anger, bargaining, depression, which is a really important part because it's about taking care of yourself while you write difficult stuff acceptance. And then I added a, an additional level called renewal. Um, because I felt like even though I don't always agree with the Kubler-Ross stages, and you and I were talking about this, they don't happen in that order. Grief happens all kinds of ways. But I think most people know about the Kubler-Ross, um, almost captioning, you almost got it, uh, the Kubler-Ross structure. They can at least say, okay, I've heard of it. I understand what it is. And Kubler-Ross herself, who wrote this, uh, not for survivors, but for people who were dealing with their own mortality, I believe that towards the end of her own life, she said, you know, I don't know that I agree with this. Uh, Peg says she never intended it as stages, hang on, I'm opening up your chat, as stages of grief. Um, Yeah, that's true. That's true. But it's come to be known that Mm. it's come to be known as that. So I kind of rode that wave a little bit and figured out, okay, let's look at what are we bargaining with? What are we angry about? What are we denying? Um, How do we take care of ourselves? Um, One of the things in the, in the depression part is you can't see it, but over my head up there, I would move the computer, but I'm afraid I'll knock over my coffee and it'll be sad um, is a series of hat boxes. And in the hat boxes, among other things, there are a bunch of quarter inch reel to reel tapes from mm. 1965. Mm. And it says three girls playing. And it is Jessica, Susie, and Sarah as small children playing. It is the only recorded, it's the only recording of our voices together. Mm. I can't listen to it. I think if I listen to it, and I mean, I have the technology to play a reel to reel, I can go turn it into an MP4. I can't listen to it. I will not survive that. But what I can write about is the fact that I have it, the fact that I don't want to get rid of it, what it feels like. Just talking about it, my heart is racing. I'm just like, oh, get it away from me. I can write about that. So in terms of taking care of yourself, don't hurt yourself. Don't do something that will create uh, or reintegrate a self-harming behavior or that you know is too 
difficult to write about for whatever reason. Instead, be oblique about it. Write about why you can't write about it. Try that. Just a, just a, a possibility. And no, I'm never going to get rid of them. And maybe someday I'll be able to listen to them. But I sure don't want to get rid of them. It's the only, it's our voices. And two out of three of us are dead. <sighs> so, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that's taking care of yourself. You know, um, we were talking about obsession. Louise, what obsesses you in your writing? I want to talk about that wonderful oh, essay. Oh, oh. <laughs> all right. Well, other things, I mean, more, more recently, um, still my mother, still and probably always my mother. Um, Las Vegas. I went to high school. I lived full time in Las Vegas from the ages of 13 to 18. I went to junior high and high school there. And my dad, yeah. my dad still lives in Las Vegas. And I've recently started thinking like, Maybe, like I have this, I have a really odd relationship with Las Vegas. So that's kind of, that's kind of going in there. Um, uh, yeah. And then, well, I have been on kind of a kick on um, feminism and sexuality books. And maybe that would be a segue into you talking about that. Tell us about that essay if you are comfortable doing that. I mean, it's on your website. Yeah, so yeah. You're no, kind of comfortable about website. it. So and, um, yeah, and then I want to talk about new books to recommend, and then we can maybe open it up to yeah, yeah. open it up to our friends. So um, and Annette, you put her higher up in the chat, but if anyone came in late, they might not have seen it. Um, when I was showing um, Jessica what I had been working on is. in the last, you know since since we saw each other the last time um on my website is a few performances those ones that i told you about um for the vamp showcase for this organization in san diego called so say we all one of which is structured around um my first field trip to an adult store to buy a vibrator at the age of 50. and um jessica listened to, watched it on youtube and was like oh my gosh, and this is like also about grief. And I was like, well, yeah, it kind of is because it's also got my mother in it. And, um, and, and also- Sex toys did, and grief. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, and it was also grieving the 30 years of shame I had about a certain part of, you know, um, my sexuality that I'd internalized because patriarchy, because- mass media, you know, doesn't have realistic, you know, depictions of what female sexuality is actually like. And I totally bought it, you know, hook, line and sinker. And, 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 and this was like such a consuming, you know, shameful thing. Um, and then I read this incredible book, which you can read about in the, you know, if you watch the YouTube and, and I was like, wait a minute, I believed a lie for 30 years, you know, and that's, I mean, A, it's liberating to be, realize that you're released from the lie, but then B, I'm grieving the 30 years of bad information that I had, you know, and, and that, you know, and then going, it, it also relates to my mother and the worst information she had, she had even worse information than I had. So, you know, mm -hmm. anyway, all the things. It's a wonderful essay, and I wouldn't have the courage to do that essay in a spoken word environment. 
um, because patriarchy. Um, but I love that. Um, but you know, at first, that's that's the mark of good writing to me because if you come come out swaying and basically say, "I'm sad and this terrible thing happened," sometimes that works, and sometimes you do it by saying, "Okay, I'm going to write about the time that I got up the nerve to go into you know a store and and buy a sex toy and the, the girl who helped you," and then you're like, "Oh, this is funny," and oh, I can relate to that, or oh, I can't relate to that, or whatever, and then it widens. And then it starts, and if you're talking about Gina Frangelo and other things that have more meaning to them, then it starts being about more, right? And that's that's why it worked so well. At first, I was like, oh, this is really funny, and she's so brave, and um, whatever. And then I'm like, oh, and now she's talking about body shame. And now she's talking about what a woman from a generation prior to her did and didn't know. And so, yeah, it did a great job for that. And it was funny. Thank you. Yeah, and it was, <laughs> it was super fun to do. And, and in some ways, it was easier to do it for a bar of 2,200 people than it was to talk about it with just one person. Or yeah. Two, and now I've kind of gotten it out. I've gotten all that out of the way. And now it's easier. It's easier to talk about. Well, that's sort of the trick, too, when you're talking to an audience. And y'all know this, right? Y'all know this. Theater people know this. Um, look, look at them here. Don't look in their eyes. Mm. Look at their foreheads because then you just see foreheads and you don't see faces. You basically see foreheads. And that's not as scary as 200 sets of eyes. <laughs> it's 200 sets of 200 foreheads and that's easier. Um, yeah, yeah. And they're not having really expressions. So, or maybe that's just me, I don't know. Um, do you want to talk about, I don't even know what time it is. It's quarter two, which is when we kind of wanted to open it up to folks that wanted to join us on the call. I recommend some some new and old reading. Yeah, yeah, okay. let's do that. Uh, and, and I'll, I'll yeah, oh, so housekeeping, if you want to jump in on the conversation, we're going to ask that you do the raise hand. And I believe that's under the reactions button. Yeah, if you find the reactions button, on whatever device you are and do the raise hand that'll kind of put you in the queue and then we'll spotlight you um and make it like somewhat organized hopefully and do we want to do the writing prompt before the questions or after i forgot oh gosh i forgot about the i forgot about that let's let's make sure people have that and then we'll jump to that because i want to make sure anyone has to leave early has that so i'm going to recommend some books we're going to put up a writing prompt that you're not going to do here but take with you, screenshot it, or buy the book, uh, or do something like that, or just write it really fast if you're good at that. Um, I'm recommending a lot of things. We were talking about Natasha Trethway. Where's the camera? Uh, her memoir, Memorial Drive, mm. um, came out. It's not brand new. It came out like two years ago, and it's really wonderful because. Sorry, my phone wigged out. Um, it's wonderful because Natasha Trethway, as you know, is a poet. She's a former poet laureate in the United States. And it is about, uh, it's about her mother's murder. And it's about coming to terms with her mother's murder. Um, this came out just recently and I taught it this semester and it's Catherine Schultz who writes for the New Yorker. And um, it's a wonderful memoir and narrative nonfiction. It's partially about um, her father's death but it's also about her meeting the woman who became her wife, uh, Casey Sepp, who also writes for The New Yorker and wrote a wonderful book called Furious Hours. So it's, it's a really interesting thing because what she does here is narrative nonfiction and memoir and great sadness along with great joy. 
So it's really, it's nicely done. Um, not brand new, but speaking of other forms and speaking of older parents, Ross Chast, can't we talk about something more pleasant? We are many of us of an age where our parents were called the sandwich generation. If you have children, you have aging parents and growing children. And this is Roz Chast and it's a, a graphic memoir basically about her parents aging and how do you deal with aging parents? And um, she got a picture here of her mother using a walker and it says, once you start using one of these, there's the end. Um, Melanie Brooks, my friend Melanie Brooks wrote this book a few years ago and it's called Writing Hard Stories. And she spoke with a number of memoirists including myself, about how they write difficult stories. So it's got um, advice in it. It's got, I don't think it has prompts in it, um, but it's interviews and advice. And she's talking to Abigail Thomas, um, wonderful Abby Thomas, Richard Blanco, Mark Zodi, Edvige Dantica, uh, Kyoko Mori, various people. Um, Writing Hard Stories by Melanie Brooks. Um, Louise, you and I talk about this book, and um, my friend Mersh, who's here also, I think we've talked about this. The Body Keeps the Score by a doctor named Bessel van der Kolk. I know he's a doctor because it says MD on it. Um, and it's really about how trauma um, affects the body. What's happening in your body, in your brain, in your mind, in your system, as you experience trauma the first time, as you re-experience it, it's a really terrific resource. A memoir here by uh, Saeed Jones, also a poet, called How We Fight for Our Lives. Um, I'm teaching that this, a portion of that this semester, which is um, about the death of his mother and his growing up. Um, and this is brand new, and this is really an interesting book. I'm trying to figure out how to use the camera. Ancestor Trouble by Maud Newton. And, you know, one of the things about this book is she alternates her own memoir with her desire to figure out who her people are, right? She grew up in an apparently a very racist household in Florida. She had one parent who was evangelical and she's just trying to do genealogy. She got fascinated with genealogy as many of us have. And she's like, okay, and she starts discovering all these things about her family and then trying to reckon with them and trying to figure out how did I get to be who I am genetically, ethnically, culturally, and what do I do with it? Um, so those are, those are my top, I wouldn't say top 10, it's two, four, two, four, six, seven. It's my top seven. Wow. Yeah. Um, if we can do the writing prompt in just like a minute, I sure. really wanna make sure I have chance for people to get- um, Can I do share screen? Converse. Let's Standby. try it. Let's Wait. try it. Desktop. I think oh. you have co-host stuff. We um, I don't know if we need to be on end for that. Hang on. I need to get out of, get out of share screen. Hang on. You know, I taught this way for over a year. You would think that I would be pretty fluent with this. Here it is. Hang on. Let's make it big. And then now let's go back to share screen, share screen. There it is. Share screen. Okay, everybody should see all kinds oh, of stuff on my screen. There it is. It. Okay, so this is from Braving the Fire. And what I want you to think about, and then we're going to discuss, is write about a time when you didn't tell the truth about your experience with grief. Where were you? 
How old were you? How recent was the loss? Who or what were you grieving? Who asked you about it and why? And what did you say to them? So these are prompts for a scene. Write about a time when you didn't tell the truth about your experience with grief. And of course, if it's memoir, you're going to write it in first person because whose story is it? I, me. Um, and we all, I don't know if lie is the right word, but we all don't always tell the whole truth. Somebody asks you something and for whatever reason, you don't want to lay it on them. So what did you say? And why did you say it? And what happened? And how did you feel about it? And since it's a scene, where were you and what were you doing? So if you want to screenshot that without screenshotting the picture of my cat and a picture of limes and some other things, um, go ahead and, and do that. And also I'm going to have the video and, um, you know, people can also come to the recording afterwards. Yeah. And it's on um, page 28 of the book. So we're going to, I'm going to stop share and we're going to yeah. go to Q and A. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So. All right. Q&A. So if anyone is interested in joining or, or if you just want to add to the conversation, it doesn't necessarily have to be a cue. And I got a, just got a text from somebody who has my phone number because we've been friends since we were 15. And she reminds me that Dickens, Emily Dickinson said, tell all the truth, but tell it slant. The truth in circuit lies. Mm, right, right, right. Mm. All right. I'm, I'm not seeing any takers right at this instant see but, if anything come um, up in chat anything come yeah, up in chat I, I certainly can keep yeah. talking and you can too i know <laughs> angelique has raised their hand her hand oh 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 okay oh let's do this okay you're still on mute angelique and let's oh we got you on spotlight so yeah just unmute yourself and still muting yeah, I am. Why? Uh-oh. Hmm. Wait. Oh, no. Um, I unmuted. Let's see. I'm unmuted. Yeah, the host might have to do it. Oh, no. Angelique, what if you type it into the queue, into the chat, and I'll... Oh, that's weird, because I'm looking at the participants, and it's giving me an option to mute you. Um, Annette, can you do that? Let's see. Um, I have the same options that Louise does. From our end, it looks oh. as if Angelique is unmuted. Now she's got the mute um, thing. Um, dang. dang, can you type it in the chat? I no? Know. Oh, I'm so, oh, I'm so sad because I really want to know what you're saying. Um, yeah, oh, I know what you mean. It is too long oh, to type. Oh, too long to type. How can we get this person? How can we hear them? What do we do? Angelique is um, uh, on whatever device you're using. Is the speaker turned off on that versus on the screen you're seeing for Zoom? Mm, that's interesting. Other people come up with questions, though. Let's get it. She, Angelique says, I was on a call today, so it must be on your end. Uh, I don't know. Oh, wow, that's well, let's try somebody else. Let's see if this is... Um, universal somebody else ask something <laughs> just ask anything ask me anything ask me what i take in my coffee ask me oh come on help all right tell okay us the Peg. Name of your cats what now tell us the name of your cats oh look it's michael dubrow from down the hall 
Uh, tell us the name of the cat. We have a cat named Hey Wayne, and we have a cat named Rosie. And one of them is my mom's cat. Aww. Yeah. So things move forward. Okay, so we know that we do have sound, that Mickey has sound. Or maybe I'm just hearing him like through the door. Okay, Angelique, I'm going to... Oh, oh. Is oh, that... there you go. Yes. Yay. Yay. Thank you. Yay. Okay, what do you got? Thank you, Taylor. Whoever... Hey. So can you? I can hear you. Oh, and that can oh, take I see. Hold on. Okay. There we the go. Spotlighting and just have Angelique. Sorry, I am. Um, there we go. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yep. Yes. Okay. Thank. Well, so yay. Yay. Um, and I'm I'm fangirling a little bit too right now. Um, just a couple of things I wanted to say. I took um a speculative memoir course through creative nonfiction. Yeah. And just to support what you were saying earlier about grief and about writing about grief, it it doesn't always have to be sort of you know some catastrophic event. It, it it's how you write it. It's how you experienced it. Mm -hmm. So I just I totally agree with that. Yeah. Um, that statement. Um, your book is fabulous. I teach a writing workshop to um, 9/11 survivors, and I've recommended it to them. And so I'm really, oh, well, I only know, thank you. I don't know how to say you're welcome, but um, it's, I'm, I think it's been really helpful to a lot of people because um, I think writing about grief feels to some people, it could feel to some people as sort of self-serving, mm -hmm. yeah. right? Because we don't always think about how we connect to other people through you know, when we're sitting at our desk, at our table by ourselves, it's so emotionally, we feel so cut off. So, um, so thank you for sharing this book. It's been really helpful. Um, and then I wanted to just ask a question um, because so many of us are grieving and so many of us are writing about grieving and loss. Um, there was um, Alison K. Williams um, mm -hmm. through brevity has yeah. wrote an article the other day, read a blog the other day. And I just wanted to, um, uh, mention it really quickly. She talks about, I'm just going to look at it while I ask you this question. She talks about, you know, using our story and, you know, we, we call it, you know, making it universal, um, but really trying to make it contemporary. Yeah. Um, and so she uses the example as, um, you know, unlikely to sell. I tried to kill. So this is her, this is her blog writing right. unlikely to sell. I tried to kill myself and recovery was financially incredibly hard, more likely to sell a look at our troubled healthcare system from the perspective of both caregivers and the patient. So that's just one example. Yeah. But I guess my question is, as you look at the landscape of grief writing and trauma, um, is is that tall is it i don't want to use the word tolerance but because mm -hmm. uh, that seems negative but is the appetite for reading those kinds of books um decreasing you know i don't think it does i i don't know because you know i'm not a bookseller and i'm not a publisher so i can't come to you with numbers and say well you know last royalty period or last book scan period this amount sold and that amount didn't sell but it seems to me that if grief is universal, and if we are particularly in a period right now where we are, I think a lot of us are super aware of grief because of what's happening in our lives and in our world, 
I think some people are going to be like, I don't want to read about it. I don't want to know about it. But I think more people are going to do what we're doing here, which is I need to read about it because I need to hear it told back to me so that I can tell my own story. I think that the way to answer that really is to go to your independent bookseller, your local independent bookseller, um, and, and ask and just say, you know, what's, how, how are grief books doing here? What are you hand selling? To people, are they coming in looking for this stuff, right? Because hand selling at the bookseller is going to know, man, we've moved a lot of these right now, or man, nobody wants to read it. But my gut feeling is because I read, I look at the bestseller list, I read the rumpus, I read the millions, I have all kinds of, you know, I read publishers weekly. Um, they're, they're being acquired by publishers, which means that the publishers intend to sell them. Um, so that goes back to, so many of us want to have these stories told to us so that we can see ourselves in that landscape. Does that make sense? Yeah, does that make, cool. Yeah. Um, thank you so much, Angelique. Yeah, and I just wanted to add, I had two thoughts. The second of them was, oh yeah, I mean, that one of the things that I think the pandemic is giving us is kind of more of a cultural willingness to talk about grief and yes. kind of dysfunctional western especially american western culture um where grief was like oh yeah i mean you should just get over it you know right, right. just get over it as quickly as possible i and bet everybody just, in this zoom room has been told in some way to get over it um yeah you know and just just like the waves and waves of things on top of things and you know and ukraine and Roe and yeah you know everything i mean even things that don't specifically just i want to say just affect women but you know yeah. so many yeah. of them affect women even more um and then yeah i did grab off my shelf um the body workbook because I, it's not even very long. I had to like pace myself to not just devour it in Eat one sitting. Um, and I'm going to start on a second reading real soon. But that giving us permission thing, I mean, she would also say, yeah, just write it. Just, just write, write it. it. Write it the way yeah. you want it. If you want to write it as something that you think maybe will be more sellable, do that. But if that doesn't feel right to you, then just write it. The just way write it and see where it lands. And I think Melissa, if nobody else would give you permission to do yeah. that. So we got Peg and Drew. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So let's let's do this. Thanks so much, Angelique. All right. So Peg, go ahead and put yourself off on me. Okay. Um, I was you sort of in Oh, you're breaking yeah. oh. up just a little bit. Okay, try okay. again. I how you changed ah. over the time. Oh. You know what, can maybe try just going off a video while you're talking. Sometimes that helps. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes. Okay, you're right. It said my internet was unstable. Okay, I was just curious if you had any observations how grief writing has changed since the publication of Braving the Fire, whatever it is, nine or 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, I think that people in my limited experience, I mean, you know, I teach workshops with this and um, write, uh, write essays, you know, about, about grief and loss and my own experience. I think more people are coming to it. And by coming to it, I don't mean coming to braving the fire. I mean, coming to the understanding slash willingness to say, I want to talk about this. I want to write about this, uh, whatever this is in their lives. And I think some of that has to do with, um, 
what Luis was just saying, which is, you know, many of us of a certain generation, I'm 62, um, many of us of a certain generation were like, you didn't talk about it, right? Just don't talk about it, get over it, keep moving. And I think that culturally, a lot of us are over that. I think culturally, a lot of us have realized that that is unhealthy. And so what do we do with it? We write about it. Maybe we write about it in our journals. Maybe we write about it for our kids or our grandkids or whatever. Or maybe we think we're going to do some kind of a big bestseller. God bless you. Your lips, God's ears. Um, but I think that culturally, we have, many of us have realized that we do need to talk about it slash write about it. So that's how it's changed. There's more of it and there's less shame, for lack of a better word. Does that work? Does that make sense? Cool. Um, would you, Louise, you want to respond to that before we go to Drew? Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I think, and I mean, I haven't really, I, I just read a lot of memoirs and stuff. And But, but as, as I was thinking, I haven't always thought about it as it's, grief writing but I mean I had a couple of books that I pulled off of my shelf that and then like oh yeah it does have so this is a graphic memoir good talk by Mira Jacob oh my god oh yes over there yeah so good and it's 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 kind of got the grief of um not only her father dying um but um raising a child of color in a in trump america basically is kind of the overarching frame of the book mm -hmm. and the next race kid like yeah all kinds of grief yeah and um i'm not i'm trying to expose myself to more poetry and this oh, post-colonial love poem yes picked up and so also just exposing myself to a lot more native and indigenous writers this year it's kind of like a project of mine and that's mm -hmm. Oh my, yeah, just mm -hmm. heavy. You know, I just finished um, the sentence, Louise Erdrich, on yeah. audiobook, and um, that's set in the pandemic, which was the first book that I've read that actually it's so contemporary. It's set in Minneapolis in the pandemic, so it covers pandemic yeah. and booksellers and George Floyd, and it's also got a ghost. So <laughs> and it's anyway, got a ghost. It's really really good. So yeah, I think. I think maybe there is more, more yeah. room for that. So yeah, there is, and I think a lot of people with the pandemic started readdressing the Decameron. You know, how do we do a Decameron project? Yeah, so, yeah. and I think that's going to happen. Yeah. Um, yeah, the closed captioning says the camera on. <laughs> Ugh, I, I handled captioning Let's... for for WGBH for years, and um, uh, this this can be done better. Um, right. Drew, Let's, what have you got? Let's go to Drew. Yeah, let's unspotlight Peg and bring Drew on. Hi, Drew. Hello. Hello. You can hear me, I assume. Yep. Um, so I recently wrote a memoir, and a big theme of it is grief. And as Louise mentioned earlier, it also, a lot of things happened at one time in my life. So, so you know, even though it's a primarily about the loss of my husband it's about a lot more than that and um and I I've got a literary agent which was a big victory and and now I'm working on or working on the book proposal 
Right. And when it comes to the marketing aspect, um, kind of like Angelique said with the, like what's going to sell it, I guess, you know, grief is so universal that it's hard to pinpoint an audience and say, this is who this is intended mm. for. Mm. And so do you have any guidance on, on marketing grief <laughs> content? In. The proposal for braving the fire. Um, why am I looking around my office for it? I mean, it's, it was ran about 60 pages and um, that book did sell on proposal. And the thing, it almost goes back to the pancake story, which is in a way, yes, grief is very universal. But first of all, think about what are your comp books, right? What are the books that are comparable to yours? It's like, it, my book is like this, but different. My book is like this, but better. My book is like this, but about apples. Um, so start thinking about, identify three or four books that, that are either recent or canonical, you know, that, uh, that will help an editor acquire it and go, because what's happening with your proposal is that the acquiring editor is taking it into a marketing meeting. And that marketing meeting is, um, it's a threshing machine. And so, your, your uh, acquiring editor is taking this into the marketing meeting and basically saying, it's going to do well because. So your job is to say, what are my comps? It's like this, but better. It's like this, but different for these reasons. And then I'm, I'm so sorry about the death of your husband. Um, you've got to kind of bear down and figure out, are you writing to people who have lost their partners? Are you writing to people who've lost their partners young? I'm making an assumption about you from your appearance. Are you writing about people who had a loss in a certain way? Are you not only about the loss, but also about the moving forward? What is it about you now that is making you write this book? What is it that you want people to know? Yes, you survived it. Yes, you miss him. Yes, you're going to do what now with your life and his legacy? Um, so that's part of what happens in this too, because if a marketing department says, okay, she's a widow and that's very sad and we're sorry, then what, right? So you might actually want to look at Gina Frangelo's book if you haven't already, um, because you said it's about the death of your husband and other things. So what are some of the other things? Um, well, it's largely about so I have cystic fibrosis. Mm -hmm. So my life expectancy when I was born was about 18 yeah. and I'm double that. And so I spent uh, all of my growing, all, I mean, childhood up into adolescence dealing with a lot of anticipatory grief right. and grief of some of my abilities as my health changed and, um, and then for me to even live to the age to get married and then my husband gets cancer and then I'm the surviving one. So it's just very uh, kind of full circle about yeah. how, how I let grief rob me of a lot when I was younger um, yeah. and really young. It would, I mean, I learned when I was about eight years old and that became my complete fixation. And, sure. and 
So I spent so much of my life fearing death instead of living. And then boom, whenever- boom, there's your hook. Do you have that? Did you write that down? I, you have I, it already there? I, I'll write it down. I have Grab it, it and growl. Um, and so- You just sold the book the, right there with that line. You just brought that book into- I think that was in the uh, the yeah. query query letter. <laughs> um, yeah, but so it just you know as far as comps go, there are the widow books, there are the people with chronic illness books, and then this is just <laughs> a merging of two unfortunate things. And. If you can take it past the widow book, past the chronic illness book, and you're going to have to have some of those in your comp, but also the idea of, what did you say about fearing death and learning to live? Yeah. Um, yeah. That you want one of those in your comp as well. Okay. Yeah. And you've got a nice comment, comment in the, I can't talk now. You've got a nice comment in the chat from Deb Fenwick. So. Oh. Yeah. So good luck with that. I think that congratulations on getting an agent and um, yeah, and that's a business relationship. And I hope that your agent loves the book as much as you do and takes it all the way to the finish line. Yeah. She, I, I feel really good about her and she just, um, good. you know, even though it, like we were mentioning about memoir and connection with people, even though it's, about events that happened in my life. It's really just about the human experience right. and resilience and overcoming. So yeah. um, you've got it. You've got it. Everything you're saying here now. And if you can't remember it, go back to the recording and then just transcribe yourself. <laughs> yeah. But everything you've got, that that is going into your marketing, into your pitch. Because yeah. you've got it. You I know mean, it. And based on what you told me, I'm like, I would totally read that. So <laughs> You've got one reader. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Yeah. I think you're, I think you're in good shape. I think you're in yeah, good yeah. shape. Well, and that anticipatory grief thing, I mean, that's a, that's a thing. I mean, in a very much lower mm -hmm. stakes um, environment, I mean, I spent, I have one daughter and I, one child who's a daughter, I spent her entire senior year anticipatory grieving what it was going to feel like when she left for college. And then by the time she actually left and I was like, you know, oh, okay. I, I, I done it all, you know, and, and it wasn't, you know, as bad as I thought, but I mean, I, that was my first kind of expo real experience with anticipatory grief of like the empty nest and what's my life going to be like after she leaves and everything. Um, yeah. And, that is way different than, you know, your diagnosis, then, but people can relate to that. And then the, another layer which I mean it's just so unfortunate that I have to laugh about it just the way that it happened and but um my husband had a cardiac arrest during treatment after mm -hmm. receiving a bone marrow transplant mm -hmm. and so for the last three months he was like in a coma and it was just uncertain you know, the prognosis kept changing neurologically. So it it's like the day he died really was the day of the cardiac arrest, but I didn't know that. Right. And so, yeah. so it's just, it is a hot mess, <laughs> but it, 
but it has a lot of relatable. Um, You'll do fine. You'll do fine. Um, Peg, thank you. So Peg is saying goodbye. Peg, thank you so much. I appreciate your being here. I hope this was, was useful to you. Yeah, yeah. And we, I want to be respectful of people's time. We're going to wrap it up. Um, but before that, um, just, and let's see, can we unpin, can we unspotlight Drew? Yeah. Um, Nothing personal, Drew. Okay. There we go. No, I'm trying to like get that hand away. There you <laughs> go. It's okay. I don't know how to do it. Either. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, I think just you can do lower hand again. It should work. So. Well, um, it'll, I'll just, that's me waving goodbye. That's all right. All right. Good. We're going to um, wrap it up. So, yeah. Thanks to everyone um, who came. And of course, um, you can find all of Jessica's books at uh, your website is jessicahandler.com. And you've got a bookshop site, bookshop.org, and search yep. for Jessica Handler in the shop. Mm-hmm. And then I've also got my stuff. Um, and I also have a bookshop shop that's got Jessica's books and other stuff and, yeah. um, and videos of Louise's essays, Louise reading all, the, essays. all the stuff where we can find everything. Um, and, and if you, you can contact me through my website, there's a contact link and it does come through to my email. So I will respond to you if you need to email me about anything. Okay. Oh, right. And I just put all the links in the chat. So, um, yeah, thanks so much, everyone, for coming. Um, Jessica, if you want to stay on and for a couple minutes afterwards, just sure. we'll close it out and you yeah. know, find us on the socials. Um, on the socials. Yeah. And everybody write, write well, <laughs> write well in all the meanings of well. And um, yeah, and be in touch. Yeah. All right. All right. And if you, you want to take yourself off a of mute, I'll maybe we can un how about you unspotlight us in that so we can actually see everyone in the big view. I'm trying to make a heart. I'm not good at this. Okay. All right. Thanks everybody for there you coming. go. There. Peace out, y'all. Thank you. See you later. <laughs>